Hello, Internet. You are now experiencing technical difficulties. This is Greg, and we're here for another episode of Table Chatter today. And I am joined by people from The Rook Room, Annalise and Tony. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having us. We're excited. Yeah, I'm pumped. (laughs) Uh, So why don't we start with what exactly is The Rook Room? Great question. So uh, The Rook Room is a board game experiences and events pop-up. So um, right now we don't have a physical space, but we are all about anything nerdy and anything analog uh, to bring people together around town in Des Moines. So that's definitely a unique way of doing a board game setup. Uh, How exactly did both of you get into board gaming? Oh, man. Um, I guess on my end, I didn't come from, I guess, your traditional board game family. I know Annalise has a a different answer to this. Um, She board gamed a lot more with her friends. I was introduced to the hobby more in college with uh, Settlers of Catan. Uh, I think everyone's probably fairly familiar with uh, that classic classic game uh, that is sort of the gateway game into all other of those Euro-style strategy games. So that's where my love of board games kind of started. I played some D&D in uh, high school and stuff kind of fell out of it more into board games during college. And then um, I guess the story of the Rook Room is Annalise and I were nerding out while we served on a, uh, a board for our university together as alumni. And we were nerding out over D&D maps and all these games that we played. So uh, the the love for board games kind of grew from there into what today is the Rook Room. Absolutely. And yeah, like Tony said, I grew up playing a lot of games with my family, um, just kind of like your basic Monopoly and all those kinds of things. And eventually my parents were like, have you guys heard of this Settlers of Catan and got us a copy for Christmas? And my sisters and I loved it so much. We were traveling for the holiday and we learned how to play and then drew it out so we could play it in the car without losing all of our new pieces. Awesome. Um, so we loved that. And then, yeah, when I went to college, uh, a lot of my friends liked playing games too. So we'd play like Pandemic before we went out to parties, um, like Pandemic and Margaritas or something before we went out mm. to parties. And then, yeah, I met Tony while we were volunteering and we we wanted to get together and play. And we were like, well, we should go here. We should go to a coffee shop. And we kept feeling like, oh, I don't want to take up a table for, you know, four hours or whatever at one of these places and bring all my pieces and maybe I'll lose them. And I kind of want to try some new stuff. And we're like, man, we don't have a place where it feels like you can do all those things here in town. So we, the first idea was let's start that. And then we're like, but first maybe we should try popping up and seeing how that works before we try to just go buy a space or however all that stuff works. (laughs) So, so the concept was already kind of something you had been engaging with even before the Rook Room existed, in a sense. For sure. The first place I had been to like this uh, was in Kansas City called Pond and Pint. Um, and it, you know, it was a big board game library, cover fee, um, some drinks, a bar. I think they don't have food themselves, so we would, you know, order food in to that spot. Uh, and I was like, yeah, there's, this is unbelievable that this doesn't exist anywhere in our state yet. <laughs> yeah, it's It's nice once you find an idea like that and you're able to get it out in the wild and uh, get it so people can experience board gaming in such a fashion as this. What type of pop-up events have you been able to run in the past? 
Oh man, we have done all all sorts of cool ones. Uh, we were stifled just a little bit by uh, this little thing called the pandemic for a while, but uh, yeah, just a little thing. Um, but we've done all sorts. I think our, our very first event uh, was Clue and Cupcakes, and that was at a local cupcake shop here. Uh, and we, everyone played games of Clue. We had prizes for the winners from each table when they got done. We had cool cupcakes that were decorated uh, to match the theming with little blood splatters and uh, weapons shoved in the top of the cupcakes and then uh, some custom drinks too. Since then, we've um, done plenty more board game themed ones uh we've done we have a how the heck series which is where we teach games that maybe people have always wanted to learn but haven't had the chance so we had like a how the heck uh Catan, how the heck uh dungeons and dragons and that one turned into a whole series because people love the dungeon and dragons one so we had like an intro to dungeon and dragons we had world building we had how to dm um we've done another one of our super popular ones which we we did not know going in whether this would be something people would want or not but uh we have what's called puzzle palooza and that is a jigsaw puzzle competition where everyone has the same puzzle they're all working off the same puzzle uh we do 500 piece ones which Personally, that takes me a couple days to do, but these people are pros. They come <laughs> in so ready to go. Yes, they, they can do it in like an hour 15, an hour 30, hour 45, but everyone's just having fun. They're drinking teams of four that are just slapping these puzzles together, and they they rock it. That one sells out all the time. So we have some good ideas for the future, too, where we expand a little bit more into the How the Heck series. Um, we do some more puzzle events, and uh, we're trying trying to do a couple of things where we kind of make the world around you into a board game. So I guess not not really augmented reality, but you become the game piece in in the in our in our world. So got some cool things coming up too. Yes, and we just did a scavenger hunt too, which is kind of our first foray into making Des Moines an analog game of some kind. So so yeah, we're getting excited about doing more stuff like that. Absolutely. It definitely sounds like a great time. So I guess it's one key thing is that it's not just that you're bringing board games into a space and having it be a place where people can just play. It's not, it's more than that. It's assembling a menu. It's theming the space that you're going to be in. Have there been any particular challenges in crafting a design that works like glue and cupcakes? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. And that's so funny you say that because that was kind of our first point when we really sat down and said, are we going to make a business? We're like, okay, what's going to really distinguish us from the places we currently play that aren't, you know, at home? Um, And it's like, well, we're not, a, you know, a bar where you can bring your board games. We are a board game bar. You know, when we have our own space, we want it to be that every part of the experience is considering what the player needs to have a good time. Like, you know, chairs you can sit in for a long time, tables that are big enough, but not too big, where you can't reach the middle of the table to move your piece around, or, you know, the kinds of things that I notice, at least when I'm playing, when I don't really have control over the space. And we started to realize more and more, too, that a lot of younger people who might be interested in board games um, probably don't have the money to buy some of these $60 games every time that they just might want to try, right? Um, and they don't have a full dining room. All the apartments we've noticed, you know, they're like building all these beautiful apartments and people are moving in, but there's no place for a big table. Um, so they do have to move out into these spaces and, you know, they're just, they're not ideal for it. And you do feel like you're just taking up space for a long time. Um, 
So yeah, so all those kinds of things have to come into consideration with our partners. And then on top of that, we want to make sure that everyone we're working with uh, has kind of a similar mission to us too in that community building. Has there been a particular menu item or cocktail combination that you made for a board game that just you were really proud of and like really worked and sold with the audience you had? I mean, Clue is the best example. The Clue and Cupcakes event that we had cocktails. Now I can't remember which characters, but they themed the cocktails off of characters. So the color and even like the flavors. Do you remember? I know we had a a Mr. Mustard. um, I think it was a margarita that I think... A Kerner mustard margarita that was pretty popular. Um, and then I, I don't think it had, had mustard in it. No, <laughs> no mustard in that. Um, We're good at this. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and then I think there was a uh, a Miss Scarlet that yeah. um, was like a a red one that was more of like a wine cocktail sort of thing. So definitely some cool theming, but. Uh, they must have been delicious. We weren't drinking at our own event. Um, so we were making sure everyone else had fun. But the way that those drinks went down very quickly for other people tells me that there were some good drinks. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then, like, I know for myself, one of our co-hosts, Adam, we, we're from not I'm not quite corporate America. He kind of is more corporate America. Uh, so I've noticed that you also, it also says you've done corporate events in the past. Have you been able to do a lot of those? And how does that audience differ from a standard party atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, we built out the corporate part of our website just before lockdown. We were in existence for a couple of months uh, before we had to lock down. So we have some of the ideas based for setting up either D&D for groups so they can start doing some of that kind of team building or pandemic for groups with a short teaching and then kind of letting teams have at it. So a lot of that kind of stuff is the idea once we can start doing that. Um, But we have been doing a lot of before the lockdown, we were able to start doing a lot of fundraising events. So kind of the opposite side of that. Um, where we were, you know, raising money for nonprofits in town by getting together and playing board games. Awesome. Uh, and that, yeah. So that at oh, least. Sorry. Is a bit, I was just oh, gonna. No, please, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna bounce off of that too, though. Um, that yeah, with the corporate events too. Uh, one of the things that we are looking into that um, we know uh, some people that have done this and. Um, it's a really cool idea is that, and I think you would agree that one thing that board games are really good at is teaching things. So, uh, you know, when we uh, start doing some corporate events, now that things are opening up a little bit more to incorporating that, um, that teaching aspect. So whether it's uh, team building uh, or learning to manage resources through a game like, well, like Settlers of Catan, or um, I don't know if people are ready for this, but like a pandemic where you have a team with a certain set of skills and you're figuring out how those skills can work together well um, and how they can all reach the same sort of goal. So I know that there are a lot of those, uh, a corporate event sounds by nature to be something sort of boring, but uh, where you can really make it fun, interesting, and learn more about your team through these board game activities and board games that really lean into, you know, working together as a team, finding out your skills and finding out how those all work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, another important part of the Rook Room is building out your library. And <laughs> yes. for more traditional cafes or other spaces, a lot of that library building can specifically be on having a vast 
quantity of different games, but for what you're doing with Rook Room and more event-based, it's not just that you want, you know, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of games. You might need even a dozen copies of Clue for the Clue mm-hmm. and Cupcakes. <laughs> you might need several copies of the player's hand guide for Dungeons exactly. and Dragons. Have there been any particular challenges with not just building up your library, but being able to build up multiple copies of the same game? Yes, absolutely. Library. I remember one specific time, um, pretty early, you know, when we first started, we were making negative money. Um, we still pretty much make negative money. You know, it comes from our, you know, our personal pockets still a lot of the time, but we needed to do a Catan tournament. So we were like, all right, we need a bunch of copies of this because we're going to be a feeder to the nationals. So we were at um, a tournament and we needed to have like the specific version of the game, but we also wanted to buy it as cheap as possible. So when we got them in the mail, they were absolutely knockoff games. The pieces were all wrong. Everything was messed up. We had very little time to go buy uh, a couple more copies. So yeah. And then we got really into reading about like people whose games get totally ripped off and made worse. And, you know, they start taking all the, the credit for building out these games, especially by smaller developers. So, you know, even at the beginning, we were like, all right, we have a lot to learn about how this industry works. You know, from the player side, we know a lot about it, but now from the, creator side um we have to start looking for fakes and trying to report them when we see them and you know we support a lot of kickstarters too so we can see what's kind of coming up and support smaller creators uh on top of trying to buy you know any of the top games and then yeah just a bunch of copies of Pitan especially clue was easy because those are like 10 bucks each so that wasn't too bad um and we did have another time too our first ever puzzle palooza um, you know, it's sold out in like minutes or something like that. And we we're like, oh no, okay, so this so people are gonna be excited. That's good. Uh, but then we, you know, we ordered 15 of the same puzzle and everyone was gonna compete, you know, these 15 teams of four people compete on these puzzles. And as we get partway into the night, people are like, My puzzle does not match my box. And we were like, oh, What? No. So it was oh, like no. seven of the puzzles had the wrong puzzle on the inside with the right box on the outside. And of course, we're not going to open each one because we want to make sure we don't lose any puzzles before the event starts. Correct. And we assumed that it would be the right puzzle, which seemed safe, but apparently not. So, yeah. And we're like, all right, well, uh, everyone go ahead and look up a picture, I guess, of what your puzzle's supposed to look like. And sorry. And thank you for being here. <laughs> So uh, we've gotten very humble very fast. Uh, we love taking feedback and then trying to just make things better. So a lot of learning luckily, experiences. Luckily, our audience, uh, the board game community in general, is pretty responsive, pretty forgiving. So we've had mm-hmm. some really good audiences that are like, hey, we're just here to have fun. It's all cool. We're going to work with you. But it really is this balance of, I know this is an audio medium, so you can't see behind me, but I have some of our collection behind me where we try to keep up on you know, the latest and greatest, the most popular games. So I have like Wingspan behind me and some Everdell, um, some classics like, you know, Ticket to Ride, things like that. Um, but then, you know, 10 feet from me is a box of like 20 sets of Clue and then another 20 sets of Catan. So yeah, it is that balance of we, when you're, you're on a razor thin margin as far as your profits and you really are just focusing on fun and reinvesting in your, your company, we have to strike that balance between, okay, we're going to have an event where we need 20 copies of something, but we also want to make sure when people come to us that they can try out those games because it's super important for them to be able to try out the, the latest and greatest because, like we said, like Annalise said, we don't 
we don't necessarily want them to have to buy a $60, $80 game just to try it out and maybe it collects dust on, on their shelf. We want to be that place that you know can save them a couple bucks and they can still have fun and try out the game that everybody's talking about on Board Game Geek or in their threads or on Reddit or something like that too. Exactly. We want to try to eliminate as many barriers as possible to play, either through teaching people how to play the ones that they're like, everyone talks about Catan and my friends play it, but I feel like it's going to take them a long time to teach me and I don't want to take up their time. You know, we're like, no, come to us. We'll teach you how to play. I mean, I can teach you in a minute if you want it, but we'll give you some strategy. (laughs) Well, you know, you'll get to play a couple of times and then, you know, maybe they'll be interested in a tournament or maybe they'll come back because they heard of another game that they want to try. So um, we before lockdown again, we were popping up at a brewery that has been a great partner to us who just lets us haul our 300-ish game library into their brewery, set it up along a wall and let people check it out all day for free and do teachings if they need it. But otherwise, just literally open up and remove any barriers that might be there for people starting to play. (laughs) Absolutely. Finding those partnerships can really help uh, cement yourself in the community and cement yourself with your customers. It's yeah, the only we, reason we exist. I mean, we don't have a space, right? So we have to find people who trust us to use their space and their their community and their people. And we'll trust our community to show up and be respectful in their space. And these other places also have liquor licenses and insurance, you know, and all that kind of yes. stuff that we just don't have as a pop-up. So we wouldn't exist without our partners, that's for sure. Yeah, we've gotten super lucky with some some awesome partners here in town. And I think that speaks a lot to not only these businesses, but um, the community that we're in, this Des Moines community, and being like, hey, we're going to try out something new. Um, we like your concept, and we're, we're ready to, to risk you know, some of our business on it, too, by letting you come in um, and enjoy yourselves and introduce this new community to our space uh, that we, we built up. So there's a lot of trust that comes that, with that, mm-hmm. and we've gotten super lucky with uh, some of the businesses in Des Moines. They just... They, they love Des Moines as much as we do, and they really want to see it grow. So that's a, a cool thing to be a part of. Yes. And kind of another aspect of that is you're partnering with Boz to actually become a do additional production through the puzzles. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. also honoring Iowa in some of the exactly. designs I've seen. How is that? Yeah, yeah that was that was one of those sort of shifts that we had to make uh, with the pandemic where we're like, okay, we are all about analog. We're all about being in spaces together. This is literally our mission statement is to bring people together in a shared space over a shared game. And that is exactly what every expert says. Do not do this during the pandemic. So we're like, we have to pivot. So Annalise and I got together and we're like, we had already been thinking about doing some manufacturing, some of our own puzzles uh, because of these puzzle Palooza events uh, and the exact thing that Annalise described <laughs> where we got all the wrong puzzles in all the wrong boxes. Um, and we're like, well, you know, quality control if we, we do our own puzzles. And I think there's people that will be a little more invested too if it's local art with local artists. So we started this up during the pandemic sort of as a way to you know, continue to make money, continue to stay relevant while also making sure that we keep uh, our audience safe because that was our ultimate priority. So yeah, we worked with Boz was our initial uh, artist that we worked with. And since then, I would say we have what another six to eight Annalise uh, Mm -hmm. local artists that we work with um, that we share all the profits with them. Um, We promote their art and we are introducing their art to sort of a whole 
other group of people in a whole new medium that they probably have not touched before, which is sort of awesome to do because we are all about building up the board game community here in Des Moines, but also about building up the community in general. And we love these artists. It's been a joy to work with them. It's been so awesome to, you know, work on a product that you can then, you know, say it's yours. It's completely, completely ours and our artists. And we get, we've shipped to probably, I think we're up past half of the country as far as mm-hmm. states um, from coast to coast and people, people are loving these puzzles and we're having a great time doing it. It's such a cool way to engage with the art too. If you've previously been a fan of Boz is a great example because he's a big Iowa artist and then he started to spread to other um, states too, to do kind of landmarks around town. And, you know, people feel really connected to the places they've been around either on their bike or on a trip or whatever. And you know, you might already be familiar with his print, but doing it as a puzzle, you get to know every line and every color and every part of it. So the artists usually think that's kind of cool too. Like, oh yeah, they're like really getting uh, involved with my art. They're getting intimate with how it works and what it looks like and all that little thing. So it's fun. Yeah, definitely finding that way of connecting and that's ultimately what the rook room is about is connecting the community connecting people through board gaming exactly and, uh, certainly starting out in uh the days of covid it was not what anybody <laughs> wanted but uh no but yeah we are all about that connection um like i said that's part of our mission statement and what we love about this board game community in general and working with our partners too is that you know we want people in an age where you can play all these games online and stuff and that is a, a great resource especially in times like a pandemic or you know if you just have friends that live across the country i know i've played board games, analog board games, where I have it set up on my dining room table, and then I have a webcam shooting at it, and they're, like, telling me where to move on the... We played Betrayal, I guess, the other... a few weeks ago (laughs) this way, and it really worked actually pretty well. So technology definitely helps, but in the end, Mm -hmm. we want to bring people together over this shared experience, this shared love of board games, just being together, kind of off your phone, enjoying a drink, a beverage, and enjoying some... um, time with a game and your friends so that's kind of our the heart of the rook room i guess you could say yes absolutely we we both have been very inspired by um the idea of play and all the things that go into it right so like you're sitting down with people already you're bringing people together around the table that's some community building right there um if you've never played before you're learning which can be kind of a vulnerable space to be in uh if you're teaching you know you're lending your expertise and bringing other people into the thing that's interesting to you. Then if you're playing a co-op game, it's all about working together and using each other's strengths. And if you're playing a competitive game, it's about figuring out what everyone's strengths are and maybe how to exploit them or how to use the strategy of the game to get to the end. And, you know, and there's so many other things in between all of that, but trying to create those experiences for people, especially people who maybe felt like board gaming, they weren't allowed or it was too expensive or any of the other kind of barriers that might have been up um you know if we can help people find their next community and their next thing they love um i mean that's worth it absolutely absolutely um so for 
listen for some of the listeners who might not be able to hit hit up Iowa, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, hopefully sooner now that things are starting to open up in bits and pieces around the country. Yeah. Uh, for people who want to foist that community and try to teach their friends different board games, are there any particular lessons you've learned from doing these events that have helped you become better teachers? Absolutely. One of the first things I learned when I started teaching games a lot is to always start with the end. Tell people what the goal is from the beginning or you lose them immediately. Um, So like, for example, with Catan, it's like you're trying to get to 10 points. How do you get points? All right. Points are made with these little buildings. How do you build the buildings? All right. The buildings come from getting, you know, the resources here on this little card shows you how to build the building. How do you get the resources? You know, it's it's opposite of how most game books set up how to play, where they're like, all right, here are the components. Here's what each one does. And it's like, that doesn't, why would I even need this? You know, um, and then thinking about games that get more complex, like one of my favorites is Scythe and explaining Scythe to people, <laughs> even just getting people on board to learn it. And then after they've learned it, they're like, I don't know if we can play that again. Like we brought that to a brewery once and we, they were like, you guys need to leave. Like. <laughs> I've been here for a long time. We are closing. You are the last table, you know. Um, Exactly. So we're like, okay. Um, But yeah, with that one, it's like, okay, when I teach something like Scythe, I'm going to teach you basically, if you imagine a tree, you know, the, the trunk of the tree, I will teach you that main part and some of the branches. And then you need to know each one of these branches can branch out, which will also branch out. And any engine builders where you're going to kind of build your own tree in that way. Um, is giving people the heads up, like, this is kind of what's going to happen. And the first time you play it is going to be different from the next time. So as long as you can start to understand the mechanics, have the goals in mind, um, then you can do anything. But yeah, trying to start with the end is number one way to teach a game. Yeah, and Annalise has done a really good job, too. Uh, We, uh, especially before the pandemic, were trying to condense a few instruction manuals. Some of them up around 20 pages down into like a one sheet instruction manual for like, this is just what you need to play. Um, Actually a good game uh, producer that does it really well that is coming from sort of an unexpected place is the pop Funko verse games. If you've ever seen them where you, yeah. um, Where you can have these different fandoms, like there's Harry Potter, there's Jurassic park, uh, DC comics and all those. Um, that they've made into board games now and they have an instruction manual where it starts going through the basics of how to play and then you come to a point where it's like okay now you can get started to play there is a whole other 10 pages of this instruction manual that you will need at some point but you have every bit of knowledge right now to just start playing start having fun so that you can get into the game and learn additional details later and you know you're not sitting around bored for an hour because we i think we've all been there before we've been on the other side of that where somebody's trying to explain something to us and you're like can i just play the game because i yeah. am so bored right now as that's much how as both i love of board our, games exactly that's how both of our partners are too so that was a learning lesson i think for both of us when we get together to play games both of our partners are like i need to just watch how to play don't talk to me for a long time. I'm not going to listen. You know, like we, they didn't say that explicitly at the beginning. Um, but after a couple of times, it was like, okay, so are you, so you're not listening. We'll just skip this part then. We'll just get to plan. We'll play it around. You'll find out from there. Yep. Uh, and that's part of the pressure is learning how to not just teach people in general, but kind of learning generally how some people group themselves in learning games and uh-huh. how to best teach those subsets of people. Yeah. 100%. And when you yes. don't, 
Yeah, especially when you don't know them either. You know, like when people come to our um, play date is what we call it, our big like open library pop up. They're strangers. We don't know. We don't know everyone. We don't know their play styles, what they want. And I taught a couple how to play Splendor once, and they both seemed to learn differently, even just within the two of them. So it's it's a challenge, but it's honestly it's the best challenge in the world. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a really great hobby, and it's yes. really nice to be able to share it with people. Uh-huh. Exactly. When you can make it your passion and your uh, livelihood. Yeah. Uh, are there exactly. are there any particular games that are out right now or coming soon that you're really excited for that you would hope more people would end up being? Oh man. Um, well, I know Annalise and I both share our thoughts with um, the uber popular right now Wingspan, and then um, also yeah. by the same creator, uh, we both have liked Mary Posas too. Uh, both are which are sitting on the shelf behind me here. Um, just a great creator. Um, it's a, a woman creator, so that's great. We love to uh, have some diversity in the the board game community as well, and support those diverse creators, diverse Absolutely. players, uh, diverse publishers things like that. So we really love supporting that. Um, I know on Kickstarter, we supported the um, Dinosaur World follow-up to Dinosaur Island. So pumped about when that arrives. Yeah, Yeah. that was the one I was going to say. I'm so psyched about that. Yep. I really wanted to try that at Origins in the before times. (laughs) Dinosaur Island. So I'm hoping I can maybe give that a shot in the future times. (laughs) If you're ever in town, we'll lend it to you, you know. (laughs) absolutely i think one too that i was very excited for um that we were very lucky that we got two copies of actually because tony and i both independently bought them before we uh (laughs) talked to each other was we both loved the stardew valley video game um and so when when eric was like guess what i made a board game you can buy it right now and we're like what we both had independently bought it and then apparently it sold out immediately after that so that was super lucky um, so, so that was fun too, cause it was, it felt pretty true to the game. It, you know, it's not a one-to-one for sure. And some of the mechanics can, it's kind of luck based, I think, but, um, but it was still really, I mean, it, it was fun. It's pretty, uh, it has a lot of the same parts you like about the video game. So that's always fun when a video game to board game port is, is good. <laughs> Works, right. Yeah. yeah that, that's not always the case. And in this case, no. it definitely was. Yeah, Laura, one of our co-hosts, is fairly big into Stardew. So when I saw that it popped up like y'all did, as soon as I saw it, I posted it in chat and Laura and Adam were like, we already got it. And I already got it. (laughs) And then by the time I looked a day later, they were already sold out with the first printing. Yeah, exactly. And actually that happened too with the... um... I don't. I know this is an actual play podcast. Um, if you have any Adventure Zone fans too, um, when they made the board game for the Adventure Zone, I had to snap that one up. And then pandemic happened. There were all these problems getting it out to the people. So yep. finally got my copy. Still have not played it, but I'm very very excited to crack it open. Especially, man, I've looked through all the components and the giant D20s. I'm like, this is great. This is beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait to roll these bad boys and see what happens. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the the bummers that you wouldn't think of as two people who run a board game business is we don't get to play as often as we would like. So yep. mm-hmm. I know Annalise and I are always like, oh, that game and that game, and we've bought this one, and this one is on order, and you know we have this list of want-to-play games, and our goal is to help others have fun. So you would think, oh, Tony and Annalise are constantly just you know playing board games and living the good life. But like we have found since starting the Rook Room that we're not 
able to play as often as we'd like. So, you know, it's kind of a misconception that people are like, you get to play this all the time. No, we're, we're making sure that you guys have fun and that you guys get to play these games that we bought before we even get to play. So it's something that we, we love. So we love that that is the case. But, you know, sometimes Annalise and I have this backlog of games that we want to play that is a mile and a half long. And we're like, someday, someday we will get to this. That is the danger we know all too well. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, and man, I I just hope that you know I we've we've come in contact with so many people um, personally and through the Rook Room who have said you know I love board games I've got you know I've got three hundred games at home and I always ask like oh yeah so do you get to play a lot and for the people who say they have so many they always say you know no <laughs> they're like my my partner doesn't really like to play or I've got kids and we're always busy or pandemic shut down my usual group night so I haven't played in so long. Um, so not only do I hope that we can be a place where people can, you know, come and try stuff, but also where they're kind of inspired to keep playing after they leave and actually look over at their shelf, see which ones are collecting dust, pull them out. Um, you know, and we, we have all these big ideas of building up some more like chess clubs in town for kids, um, doing more like game swaps, uh, for people that are like, yeah, I did look at my shelf and these ones were collecting dust and actually I don't want them anymore. So so doing something like that. And uh, and then especially the thing we've gotten really excited about is doing some kind of like maker days. Uh, we bought a 3D printer, um, but we want to help be a resource for people in town who are starting to develop concepts for board games, but either need resources or play testers or just time and space to come do that. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one of the things we can't wait for the most for when we get a space. Absolutely. Yeah, again, again, it's all just about like lifting up that community. And we have... There are more in Des Moines than we thought there were of people that are designing their own games or, you know, they're in that trial period where they're like, should I, do I have the resources? And we definitely want to build up the community by saying like, yes, that is a valid game. We need more creators. We need more diverse creators, more diverse ideas in the board. Like no, no one should be like, oh, my idea isn't valid. We want to build you up and have you play test our game. Like there are people out there. There's an audience for everything. Like Annalise and I said, yes. we love Mary Poses. It's a game about butterflies <laughs> migrating through the United States, uh, North America. Like who would have thought that that would have been a successful game? But it is. And it's because somebody took a chance on it. And there are diverse creators out there doing some wonderful things with mechanics, with yeah. design, uh, all these other cool things. And we want to be a space that makes those people feel comfortable and like they can reach their goal of creating their game. So that's another aspect of this community that we really want to build up. Yeah. And hopefully highlight a a few less of the like board games based on colonialism and more of the like board games based on like, well, humans are affecting climate change, which is changing butterflies migration patterns. So here's a game about that, you know, like the same stories over and over again, you start to get a little bored, even if the mechanic is good. So, right. yeah, so we love being able to highlight people who are like, I think I have something different to try. Um, I just want some people who can get in my corner, and that's what we want to be. Absolutely, like stuff on our end, like Coyote and Crow and First Nations designers gathering yes. together and making uh, futuristic RPG like that, or how we've interviewed Chris Spivey and his work on Harlem and Bound. And yes, I saw that. Work. It, it's especially like me being in Ohio, I know Ethan's in Missouri, y'all are in Iowa, that mm-hmm. as has been, uh, there's at times it can feel frustrating knowing how coastal a lot of our 
communities yeah. can be like in RPGs and like in board gaming and other forms of media. So it really is important to have passionate people like y'all, passionate people like TechDiff that are able to foist that community and help show people that their ideas are just as valid as people that have, you know, $100 million yes. <laughs> marketing budgets yeah. and ideation and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, man, in some cases, maybe more important or more interesting when you are kind of, you know, a bootstrap builder, you know, where you don't just get the marketing budget because so-and-so, you know, one guy liked your idea. Now here's all the money. This is like, yeah, you kind of have to, you have to earn it, but yeah, we want to give people that platform to find their people. Yeah. And how cool would it be to have all these little hubs of board game uh, places, creation stations where like, you know, this little pocket in Ohio, this little pocket in Iowa and Missouri and all these places where, like you said, it's not just dominated by these coastal cities, but you have these little pockets around the Midwest, around the country, around the world um, that are creating those diverse games uh, with diverse populations and diverse ideas because, you know, all of our backgrounds are valid. Um, and there are some really cool ideas that come out of um, these different people, like you said, like indigenous people creating RPGs, like that's awesome. Maybe that couldn't happen necessarily on like some, some coasts or in certain places, but if you give them the room to breathe in all these different spaces, then they can become a reality and the community is a better place for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just very grateful that we can, there's more of an opportunity for that in these days, you know, back when we were little and board games were still just, you know, roll and move. <laughs> right. Well, stuff was super complicated, non-inclusive role-playing game systems. And mm-hmm. there wasn't an opportunity like that. Now we have an opportunity and there is more space. There's Kickstarters and Indiegogos and itches. There's spaces like Rook Room. There's, it's, it's a fascinating time. And it was kind of, stalled a bit due to COVID and hopefully we can push forward and really create a community that welcomes everybody and shows everybody these hobbies that we really love. For sure. And I think the the community is open to it and receptive for it too. And probably in in some cases, you know, it's something that they really want. They're aching for it. Um, I know we just taught a intro to D and D class with a partnership with our local library system here. Um, and, you know, as we were going through character and creation and stuff like that, one thing we like to uh, say at the Rook Room is we use ancestry instead of race to sort of eliminate some of those racial stereotypes or things that might seem like negatives by by focusing too much on race and instead building up uh, the strengths that come with certain ancestries that may be different, um, but they are definite strengths because of those backgrounds and where those people come from. And all these kids um, and some adults too, they're super receptive. They're like, Oh yeah, no, pro- that makes complete sense. And these kids are wise beyond their years. And they were, they were just having a ball with it. And, you know, we were like, how, how far do we get into this? But, you know, we, we touched on it with them and, and I think they were really receptive moving forward of something where they can be a little more progressive in their, their games where these games are evolving. And I think people are ready to evolve with them. Definitely. Like more creative too, not just relying on like, all right, this is the stereotype of this race. So now I have to play this way. You know, it's like, nope, doors wide open. That's kind of the whole point of RPGs. Uh, at least in the in the beginning parts, you can do anything. And I think with it's kind of the wild west of board games, I feel like right now too, with all the ways to just start 
making them. And, you know, along with the Wild West, there are parts that we need to be careful of too. Like we talked about earlier is, you know, if you're a small developer and you're putting all your info out there so you can show everyone how the game's supposed to work is people are trying to grab that info and cash in themselves and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So so not only are there so many opportunities, but there's also opportunities for people to be taken advantage of. So we all have to kind of stay vigilant uh, in supporting the creators who are putting that work in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Annalise, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking with both of you. Oh, man, totally. This is fun. Yeah, we could we could go on forever and ever, as we I'm sure can. most of your guests can relate to, where it's like we're talking about something we love. Let's just let's talk all day. I, I got my afternoon clear, right? Let's just go. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, where can they find y'all, and where can they find the Rook Room? Uh, yeah, well, everything about the Rook Room is at therookroom.com, uh, and then we have a social media presence too on all the major platforms, of course. Uh, so we got Facebook, we have Instagram. We are even on TikTok, which we're trying to make forays into uh, a little bit. We have this series that Annalise actually came up with, uh, courtesy of one of our mutual friends called Box Fart Fridays, uh, where we evaluate box farts on TikTok. So that's one of the fun things you get to do when you have a uh, board game store, uh, board game business is do box fart ratings on TikTok. So if we're on all those major platforms. If you don't know what a box fart is, then now you have to go to our TikTok and find out. It's not gross, I promise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you both very much for joining us today. Thanks, it's thank- fun. Yeah, thank you so much. And we hope you enjoyed, listeners. Good night, Internet. <laughs>